0: Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric, and today I'm going to continue looking at how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting our dance and our community. Last week I released an episode that looked at how some professionals are reacting and responding to the current situation. Today I'm going to share my own thoughts and then share a conversation with my friend Tom Paderna, where we talked about the impact to our dance community in the long run. Last week, I mentioned that I've been having a hard time doing this show, this episode in particular. This episode was actually supposed to be released before the last one, but I've kind of been procrastinating. Somehow, I couldn't find the motivation or the activation energy or whatever it takes to actually figure out what to say and record it. I'm still kind of in a bit of a weird space. Things are a little surreal and still changing, but I took some time to figure out what to say. And I can at least tell you where I'm at now. So when the outbreak started impacting the United States in a more serious way, I sat down with Dr. John Blaska and Brandy Gill to talk about what we knew about the virus and the disease at the time, and concerns about how it would affect social dancing. This was right before Mad Jam and right before social distancing began, and everything started getting canceled, local dances and weekend conventions alike. It's strange now to think of the conversation we were having, I guess, a month ago. We talked about washing hands and showering and cleaning the ballroom as if that would be enough. And now those measures seem rather paltry and completely disproportionate to the scale of the problem. To be honest, I'm a little embarrassed in my own failure to think about how major this would be. I kind of thought this was more contained and less of a threat than it ended up being. But if you haven't listened to the episode, you should anyway. The conversation with Dr. Blasco was super informative, and I think the fears Brandy shared are ones many of us still feel. Oh, and I'm going to talk again with John, this weekend actually, to get an update on the outbreak and what we've learned about the virus since our last conversation, and I hope to sit down with Brandy again soon to share with you how she's doing and how she's coping during this time. In that first episode about coronavirus, I was still in a self-imposed two-week quarantine period. For those of you who didn't listen to that episode, my girlfriend Chini was in Italy for work when the outbreak started there, and she cut short her trip and came home early, but we had to quarantine for two weeks as a precaution. We worked from home and mostly avoided contact with others, and fortunately, neither of us fell ill. She came home February 25th, that's seven and a half weeks ago, and after the two-week period, we both went back to work. Of course, three days later, we were sent home as social distancing took effect here in Minnesota. Two weeks later, the shelter-in-place order was issued, and we have been at home ever since. In the last month, the situation has gotten much worse in many parts of the world, but particularly here in the United States. My personal experience is a mixed bag. On the one hand, I'm stressed and worried like so many others. I'm less worried about my own health, but more worried about those around me. I'm worried about my parents, who are in their 70s and just returned to New York, despite repeated pressure from my sisters and I to stay in Florida. My dad is slowing down as he gets older, and my mom has some health issues, so I'm worried for their well-being. One of my sisters and her husband own a restaurant in St. Louis, that's Turn for those of you who might want to venture there at some point, and that restaurant has been virtually shut down, so they've been hit very hard financially. They have a 13-year-old daughter to care for, but they've had to lay off pretty much all of their staff, who now are also without work. And I chatted with my best friend, who is a doctor in New York City. She delivers babies at a hospital on the Upper East Side. Unfortunately, her boss has helped protect her and her team from the rest of the hospital as much as they can. But she said that she's been using the same mask for three weeks, and some of her patients have been diagnosed with covid The severity of the situation varies from hospital to hospital. My best friend lives with her wife, who is also a doctor, and who is also pregnant with their third child, who is due next month. She's been working in areas where COVID is more widespread, but fortunately hasn't been infected yet. And I found out this week that my mom's uncle, who is 98 years old and lives in New York City, has also been diagnosed with COVID. He is currently on a ventilator and is unlikely to survive at this point. To top it all off, we have the worst period, president, period, ever, period, anywhere, period. He's not only incompetent, but an awful human being who puts his own self-interest above everything else. He is dangerous and reckless and putting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives at risk, and no one holds him accountable because of his cult following and his propaganda networks that hold him up and protect him at every horribly irresponsible and idiotic turn. But I digress. And I'm sorry if my politics offends you, This is all just to say that I'm stressed and worried and watching this all happen without any control over it. But that's the other thing. I'm also not as stressed, but here's the other thing. I'm also not as stressed as everyone around me seems to be. You'll hear me talk more about this in my conversation with Tom, but I don't think I'm having as hard a time with this as many around me are. It's not to say I'm not affected, it's just I feel like those around me are more affected. Maybe it's because I've been quarantined for so long. Maybe I stressed and panicked about this over a month ago when I was first quarantined, and so now it's all out of my system. Or maybe it's because I've just settled into a new normal, having been at home for so long. Or maybe I've just had more time to learn about the situation and process what's happening. Or honestly, maybe I've just grown numb to it all, and maybe I've just been stuck at home so long that I've lost perspective of what's real, because my view of life right now is mostly through a computer screen and a window. Either way, I've come to a place now of more calm, despite knowing that this is far bigger and far worse than I originally anticipated. What can I say? I'm full of contradictions. I feel like it's become commonplace now to ask people, how are you doing? With that note of deep concern, as if something horrible has happened to them. And yes, horrible things are happening. But for me, anyway, honestly, it's really not all that bad all the time. Actually, while I certainly wish the circumstances were different, I'm quite liking this stay-at-home thing. Maybe I'm just being overly or naively positive, but I'm grateful to be working from home and not having to commute every day, especially when it's snowing, in April. I'm glad to spend more time at home, and more time with my girlfriend, and more time to catch up on things. This crisis, as terrible as it is, disruptive as it is, has forced me to slow down, to take time and make space, and I'm grateful for that. The last few months, moving to Minnesota, starting a new job, moving into a new place, it's been a whirlwind. And now I feel like I can take a breath or two, you know, as long as I'm six feet from other people. Plus, we just adopted a cat three weeks ago, and that has been a whole new adventure. It's been very fun and rather sleepless because, as those of you who own cats know, they like to hang out at night and they like to wake you early when it's time to be fed. But anyway, that's where I'm at. With respect to dance, I'm still running weekly virtual sessions with my students here. We do a combination of practice and some new material. I'm trying to keep them motivated. I know it's hard in this whole experience to stay motivated, and I'm trying to keep them connected with one one another and connected to the dance. Plus, they're just a great group of people, and I enjoy getting to see and chat with them each week. We've also done a virtual watch party where we watch some of our favorite dances on YouTube, and that was a fun way to Both stay in touch, but also share our love of the dance. But aside from engaging with my students here, I'm honestly not very motivated to dance myself. Mentally, I am. Cerebrally, the idea sounds great, but I haven't really gotten up and done it. I participated in some of the online learning experiences that are happening, both to see what's being taught and to support the pros. But I'm not really practicing. I'm not really watching dancing, and I don't really feel like dancing myself. Sometimes I do, and when Cheney and I do dance, I enjoy it a lot, but it's just not on my mind. My time is occupied with work, my new cat, other things I have to get done, and sitting on my couch, and watching TV. Honestly, I'd be happy to just sit around and binge-watch movies and television for the foreseeable future. I'm motivated to do a few other things, but most days I'm just not. Maybe it's the weather. It's still kind of cold and snowy here, and most days are overcast. It's supposed to get warmer here, and I'm hoping that will help. Maybe it's the stress of what's happening around me that is subconsciously draining my energy. Maybe it's just the lack of sleep from the cat. I don't know. Either way, I'm just not really feeling it. And part of me thinks that maybe I'm wasting this time and opportunity. But the truth is that if I don't feel like dancing, I don't have to. We're all going through a very stressful and challenging and different time. And I think self-care is super important right now. We need to allow ourselves the time and space we need to adjust and react and respond, mentally and physically, emotionally, however that is. And right now, dance just isn't a priority for me. There's a reason I feel like spending time with my girlfriend and my cat and watching TV. Those are the things I enjoy most right now that comfort me, that enrich me. And in a time of upheaval and uncertainty and, let's face it, crisis, there's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself listening to what you need, and not forcing yourself into things you don't need to do. I'm sure I'll get back around to dancing, and maybe even practicing. We just actually talked about doing that today, so maybe it'll happen. But right now, I'm just enjoying quality time at home, trying to stay connected to people I care about, and trying to take care of my own mental and physical health. And of course, I'm trying to get episodes of this show out when I can. I know my experience is just one of many that people are having right now. We are all affected by this in different ways at different times, and we are all reacting and responding to it in different ways at different times. Yes, things are stressful, and no, they aren't going to get better anytime soon. In fact, they'll likely get worse before they get better. But one thing to keep in mind is that much of what is happening is outside our control. And while that may be frightening, It's also important to note that worrying too much about things that are outside your control will likely only make things harder. My advice, my wish for you all, is to focus on what is in your control and under your influence. Your own life, your loved ones, your neighbors and friends. Take care of yourselves, be kind and compassionate and patient with yourselves, and be grateful whenever you can. For those of you who aren't sick, be grateful you have your health, because many do not right now. For those of you who can work from home, be grateful that you have work and income during this time, because many do not. For those of you who are with loved ones, be grateful for them, and be grateful for more time to spend with them, or catch up with them, or to connect with them. Be grateful for more time and space to reflect on what's important to you, what drives you, what changes you want to make, or what things you want to pursue. Be grateful for what we don't have now, dancing, and be grateful for what it has given us, joy, expression, friends, community, a sense of belonging, a sense of pride, a sense of identity, and so much more. Find things to be grateful for every day. Big things and little. Moments, thoughts, feelings. These are stressful times and things can seem really bad, but when we find some good, when we can find ways to feed our needs and our souls, it makes this time a little easier. So I hope you will listen to yourself, care for those around you, and find the bright spots. Yes, things are bad, but It's not all bad. Find the good wherever you can and celebrate it. Speaking of dance, you'll hear more in my conversation with Tom, but I wanted to share some of my own thoughts about how this pandemic has affected our community and may affect it moving forward. It feels like we went from watching amazing dancing at events like Rose City and Mad Jam to everything shutting down overnight. Local dances and weekend conventions, gone in a matter of days, and now things are shut down, at least through the spring, if not longer, probably a lot longer, as I'll discuss in a minute. My first experience with the impacts of COVID-19 on dance were concerns about Mad Jam, as I discussed with Brandy in our episode on that topic, but then with Mission City Swing. We were faced with closing Mission City Swing, and at the time, I was rather reluctant. I didn't realize how fast this was spreading, and I was concerned about the impacts to the community, both financially and in terms of the sense of community. I'm still not sure what the impact will be, especially as this goes on. Yes, there will be some diehards yearning to come back. And there may also be some newer dancers who weren't yet hooked and others whose enthusiasm may have been waning. And those people may find other things to do. They may take up other hobbies or just move on. There's always attrition, but I believe that having regular recurring connection to the dance and fellow dancers keeps people engaged. And without that, we are likely to lose some dancers, but that's okay because our community goes on. It may take a hit, but there's a strong enough core to sustain it once we do return. And people in our community are getting together virtually on a fairly regular basis. And that is awesome and amazing. Here in Minnesota, where the outbreak isn't as bad as other places, things were still running for a couple of weeks after the shutdown in California. Now, I didn't go out because of my self-imposed quarantine, but things were mostly continuing as usual. And then, eventually, our local weekly dance shut down, and the studio where I teach a weekly class was closed. But events started canceling pretty quickly. First, the immediate ones. I was supposed to go to California for All-Star Swing Jam when San Francisco and the surrounding counties were urging the cancellation of large gatherings and events. That event was cancelled at the last minute. West and Lyon was also that weekend, and after their venue was closed and they tried to find an alternative, they ended up cancelling in the end. Other events further out in April and May were cancelled too, and now they're starting to cancel events in June as well. And I think we need to prepare for events to be cancelled for a very long time. Again, I'll get to that in a moment. First, I want to make a note about some of the chatter that happened when events were being canceled. There were several posts online supporting the event directors, people who were trying to offer a great weekend offer a great weekend experience for our community, but were ending up taking a big financial hit. And I am all for supporting our events and our event directors. My heart goes out to those people who spend basically a year planning and preparing and organizing events. And honestly, take a huge financial risk in doing so only to have to cancel. It's a super tough decision they have to make and a lot of risk and potential financial losses involved. But I think we need to also support our professionals who suffered a huge loss as well. Some people were shaming pros for asking or even wanting some compensation for the contracts they lost. And while event directors aren't to blame for the cancellations, the professionals who are on staff are suffering a big loss. There are a few who may be financially stable enough to survive without any compensation, but the vast majority live by these events. A dancer's life is not usually a profitable one. I often liken it to acting, where You know, we hear about celebrity actors who make millions, but the vast majority of actors are waiting tables and bartending and doing temp work or driving for Uber, whatever they need to, to make ends meet. If you haven't listened to the episode we did with Robert Royston back when we first started, and by the way, all of the episodes are available for you to listen to on Apple Podcasts and other platforms. But he talked about how back in the day, most professionals earned a living by teaching at home and events were more for fun but today we have a model where our professionals rely heavily on events for their income and they may supplement that with private lessons or occasional classes in their hometown without events hiring them to teach and judge and mc and dj without the money they'll make from teaching private lessons at events or doing intensive that's a lot of income lost so far with events being canceled through may and even into june that's at least 3 to 4 months of income lost a quarter to a third of their income for the year, gone. And honestly, it's going to be a lot more than that. And even those who have studios and students at home are likely unable to work with all the closures and the shutdowns in different cities. So yes, I understand the need to sympathize with our event directors, but I think it's also right to support our professionals. We owe our whole hobby to our pros. Without them, we wouldn't have learned to dance. Even if you didn't learn directly from them, you probably learned from someone who did. We wouldn't have events without a pro show to draw us in, to excite us, without pros to teach us and judge us. We wouldn't have the dance that we have without those pros working on their craft, developing their skills and knowledge, and advancing our dance to what it is today, and then sharing that with us through their dancing and their teaching. I've spoken with several pros over the last few weeks who are really stressed about making ends meet, and they're going to have a really hard time getting through this period. I am thrilled to see so many online opportunities, and I hope people are taking advantage of them. This is going to be a tough road for our pros, but please support them if you can. Reach out and see how they're doing, and see if you can help them in any way. So, that gets me to another thing. I don't want to be a pessimist, but I've been reading about how this pandemic will play out, and I don't think we're going to be back to dancing for a very long time. Like a year or two. I was reading this week about four different plans that have come out on how and when this pandemic will end and life will return to normal here in the United States, whatever normal looks like now in this new America. These plans were from right-leaning American Enterprise Institute, left-leaning Center for American Progress, a Nobel Prize-winning economist Paul Romer, and Harvard's Edmund J. Safra Center for Ethics, which has worked on bioethics issues in the past. The four plans vary a bit in their approaches, and they vary quite a bit in their assumptions, but all four plans suggest we are going to go through three phases, at least here in the United States. First, extreme social distancing, like what we're experiencing in most places now. Then, In the second phase, there will be an easing of social distancing as testing and monitoring increases. The second phase would still prohibit large gatherings and limit socializing, and may even require a return to more extreme measures if the virus starts taking hold again. And in the third and final phase, a vaccine or other treatment that can reliably prevent or treat COVID-19 is available, and social distancing can then end. But here's the thing. The second phase relies heavily on dramatically ramping up testing far beyond what currently seems realistic or even possible, and the end of social distancing is essentially dependent on a vaccine which could take 12 to 18 months. And that's an optimistic view, given how trials often have missteps and miscalculations and how this virus is evolving rapidly with several new strains already discovered. I wouldn't be surprised if an effective vaccine is two or more years away. There have been some new treatments that show promise, so those could be available sooner, but we're still a long way off from a reliable treatment that's readily available. Now, I'm not trying to be grim here, and I don't want to scare anyone or make anyone feel bad, but there's a very real possibility this pandemic is going to last a very long time. Like I said, I'll be speaking with Dr. John Blaska again for an upcoming episode, and I'll be sure to ask him what his forecast is as well. So stay tuned. But then the question is, how does this affect dancing? We know that social partner dancing is incredibly high risk for this coronavirus. We are very close to one another, we make physical contact, and we dance with many people each night. Plus, at even a local dance, you can have more than 50 people, which would be unlikely even under some easing of social distancing. Forget about a weekend event, which can have 200, 300, 800, or even 1,000 people. And in my mind, I see a nightmare scenario. One person with COVID who isn't showing symptoms goes to a weekend convention with, say, 300 people from all over. That one person dances with others, who dance with others, who dance with others, and so on. And after the weekend, those 300 people go home to their respective towns, and before you know it, we've got dozens of outbreaks in different towns and cities. And for each outbreak, people will get sick, and some will die does any one of us want to be responsible for that is it even responsible to hold an event when that possibility is likely again i don't want to guilt anyone or make them feel badly but i think we need to realistically consider the risks and the consequences weekend events at this point could literally kill people honestly it's a miracle that more people didn't get sick after something like Manjam. jam maybe some did and i haven't heard about it but i think we lucked out with that one so realistically practically It is hard for me to imagine any large events happening in the next 12 to 18, maybe 24 months, unless we dramatically ramp up testing and some reliable treatment is developed and made widely available. Now, there's also the question of local dances. If the outbreak is under control in a city and small gatherings are allowed, it's possible some dancing resumes, where people from the local area are coming together. Maybe friends get together to practice or hold small dance parties in their homes. Maybe, and I'm hoping this happens here with my students, small group classes resume, where 20 or 30 people can come together. Maybe events can happen at that local level, too, where people from the same geographic area are coming together. That will depend on each state's, or jurisdiction's, situation, and governance. Still, and Tom talks about this, too, what are the risks, and would anyone want to be responsible for someone dying because they hosted or attended a social dance? Even if just one person died from COVID-19, that's that's one human being. It's a member of our community. It's one of us, a fellow dancer, a friend, a partner. It would be tragic. So, I don't know. I'm not optimistic about dance resuming anytime soon. And in the long run, our scene will change dramatically. It's nearly certain that our scene will shrink in many ways. There will be events that do not survive this period. There will be events that will try to survive, but not get the numbers they need next year and then disappear. I know I've said I think there are too many events, or too many events that aren't worth going to, that manage to survive, but this is not the scenario I wanted. While I do think a sort of purging of events may not be so bad in general for our community, I understand that for many, events are where they get much of their West Coast swing experience. Social dancing, workshops, private lessons, and of course, their chance to compete for points especially people who live in places that don't have a local dance scene or don't have a large enough or supportive enough dance scene. Ironically, some of the events that I don't think are as good are the little local ones that aren't great but people go to anyway because they live there, and those are the events that in this situation are more likely to survive. I think I worry more about the bigger events where people come from all over because those are less likely to happen in the next year and a half, but also some of the most rewarding events with top pros and great competitions, awesome workshops, and of course, some amazing dancing. And the size of our community will shrink too, for two reasons. One, concerns about health, and two, economic concerns. There will be people who are concerned about their own health or of transmitting to others who will not go dancing for some time, maybe a long time, maybe even long after there is a vaccine. I mean, just knowing that this sort of global pandemic is possible makes many of us acutely aware of how we interact with others and how we can transmit communicable diseases to one another through dance. It's one thing to catch a cold, but now people will be thinking about these new viruses that are far more transmissible and far more dangerous. I think some people may just find other hobbies or at least avoid larger gatherings. And of course, on the other hand, the economy is taking a big hit. People are losing their jobs, their income. They may have their jobs, but have to support others who have lost their jobs. And dance is something people do with disposable income and time, so if they don't have the time or the money, they won't go dancing. Certainly not to big events, but also perhaps locally. Now that's not to say our scene won't recover. I know I've painted a rather grim scenario for you over the last couple of minutes, but I do think that we will bounce back. Tom talks about how our scene was changed by 9-11 and then our economic recession of 2008, and in both cases, our scene recovered and then actually boomed. I expect after two or three years, our community will thrive again too. Life goes on after all, and things will get better. But when we do resume, I hope and expect to see some changes. In fact, I think this is a great opportunity to think about what structural or systemic changes we'd like to see. As Rahm Emanuel, Barack Obama's chief of staff and then mayor of Chicago, once said, never let a crisis go to waste when it's the opportunity to do things you never thought you could do. So what do I think might happen or what do I hope will change? A few thoughts for you to consider. With events, I think there are some basic expectations here. The easiest one is hygiene policies. Events should do their best to keep things sanitary to reduce transmission of communicable and infectious diseases, whether they be something like coronavirus or even just a cold. Wiping down surfaces periodically, airing out ballrooms, selling water bottles, educating attendees. Take a listen to that first coronavirus episode with Dr. John Blaska. He put forth some great ideas on this subject. I also think events need to rethink their refund policies. I feel like it's pretty standard right now for events to not offer refunds. If someone gets sick It is on the attendee to sell their pass to someone else, and the problem with this is that lots of people will still attend the event anyway, because they couldn't sell their pass, and they made the financial investment that they don't want to lose, they made all these plans and arrangements to attend, and they may spend the first night in their hotel room hoping that they'll be better after some rest. But even if they stay in their room, they often have roommates who may get sick and who will be down in the ballroom. This is all unnecessary and, quite frankly, foolish. We should offer full refunds to anyone who falls ill before an event and tell them to stay home and rest. It's in the best interest of the other attendees and, ultimately, the event, because it's not good to be known as the event where an outbreak happened. I don't expect many people will abuse this policy, because most people who pay for an event pass only do so when they actually want to attend an event. And like I said, they make other arrangements, travel, hotel, roommates, that incentivize them to go. And I doubt many people will actually be sick and not go. And let's be honest, if you're an event that can't financially handle refunding a handful of people, you probably have bigger concerns. So let's make it a norm to stay home if you're not feeling well, or if you think you've been exposed to a sick person the week of an event or something like that. And let's encourage people by offering a refund. I encourage event directors to look at what Wild Wild Westie is doing this year along with Jack and Gillorama in Swingtacular. All three events are offering a worry free, refundable weekend pass policy. Where if the event cancels, if the attendee is sick, if the pass holder is a member of a vulnerable population, if the pass holder lives or works around vulnerable people, or if people don't want to attend during the outbreak, the attendees can roll their passes to next year or get a full refund minus any transaction fees. This applies not only to the event pass, but also competition fees up to the day before the event. I just want to say huge kudos to all of those event directors for being forward-thinking, as always, and putting the interests of our community first. I love, love, love this, and I truly hope others will follow suit with similar policies, and not just when there's an outbreak. The other two places where I think events will have to rethink their businesses are contracting and insurance. With contracting, I think events will have to consider the terms they agree to with hotels. I say this because I know a couple of events that couldn't get out of their contracts with hotels despite the global pandemic. Now, I'm not sure about events that are later this summer or fall. They might have different circumstances, but they should be negotiating now in case they need to cancel. And thinking about terms for the future, that allows them an out should something like this or even a recession or natural disaster or something else that happens that would threaten attendance. Similarly, events should consider insurance options. Now, I'm definitely no expert in insurance for things like this, but if I ran an event, I'd be thinking about how to cover any potential losses should I have to cancel last minute. I presume events already have liability insurance to cover accidents at their events, but what coverage do we have if someone gets sick in an event? Again, I'm not an expert in this. I just had liability insurance for Mission City Swing, but I do think events should be thinking about these kinds of sudden crises. Already, our professionals are responding and adapting. As I mentioned, there is a plethora of online learning opportunities popping up. I'm a little concerned about market saturation right now and or people kind of burning out and losing motivation as this whole situation continues. But I think overall, this is a great time for pros to think about their brands and the value they offer. If people want to compete in the saturated online marketplace, they have to think creatively about what they're going to offer and what makes it unique and valuable so that people want to attend. People who offer the same old thing or aren't able to deliver quality content are going to have a harder time being seen and heard, especially if local classes and dances and life in general resumes. Those with the right skills, the business acumen, and a clear value proposition, a unique value proposition, will be much better off. As I discussed in last week's episode, people like Chantel are tapping into the unique expertise they have. People like Tashina and Cameo are using this time to build on the online learning they were already offering, and people like Courtney and Sean are launching new ways of building and connecting with their student base. I'll be chatting with some more pros for the show about how they are not only responding to the current situation, but how they are defining their value and how they are leveraging online opportunities for the long run. Which gets me to another thing diversification as I said earlier most of our circuit pros rely heavily on events for their income and now would be a really good time for them to think about diversifying their revenue streams whether it's building more of a student base at home or offering online learning or leveraging tools like patreon I think pros will have to think about finding other income streams that reduce their financial dependence on events some pros already have I guess DVDs do people still watch those or online learning platforms? And I think more will be investing in those kinds of tools. Speaking of events, I think pros should revisit their contracts with events. I'm already wishful that pros think about how they define their relationships with event directors and set clear expectations in their contracts. But I hope pros think about what terms they want in their contracts that hold events accountable should they cancel or not make enough money. Sure, I know pros all have contracts, but how many of those contracts would actually hold up in a court of law if it came to that? Our professionals deserve something professional, and that means something legally recognized and binding so that they get the compensation they rightfully deserve. As for changes in us as dancers, I'm hoping hand-washing and general hygiene will be a new norm. Please. I'm hoping it will be the norm for people who don't feel well to stay at home and for others to support those who aren't feeling well or choose to stay at home. I hope local dances and teachers consider similar hygiene and refund policies, as I discussed, for weekend events, and I hope people take advantage of virtual opportunities to connect with each other and with the dance. And as for the dance itself, I think this will be an interesting time of change. In the past, people used to talk about how learning from YouTube and videos taught people how to look, but this dance is about connection, which you don't get from videos. With all the online learning opportunities, there may be a boost in people's abilities as dancers, but I'm curious to see what will happen to our faculties as partners. Will it be weird to go back to dancing with others after months of only dancing by ourselves? I don't know, but I'm curious to see how a year or two of solo practice will translate into our dance when we resume partner dancing. One thing I'm seeing now that I love is a return to kind of what I consider the essence of our dance. I feel like not being able to dance has stripped away the drive for points or our obsession with competition, and it's really brought us back to a love of the dance itself and a love of our community. I've loved watching people rediscover their passion for the dance and reaching out to their dance friends and family. I can only imagine how much love there will be when we do finally get back to dancing and events, how much joy and fun and silliness and expression and connection with others there will be. I don't know how long all of this will last, but one thing I look forward to is when this time will pass and when we get back to the thing we love with the people we love. And speaking of connecting with others, I mentioned last week that I wanted to share your experiences as a way of helping us stay connected through this time. I would love to hear your own stories of what you're going through, how you're feeling, how you're handling the situation, and how you are staying connected to the dance, or not connecting to the dance, if that's the case. I will compile some different perspectives for an upcoming episode, so please share your story with me. You can call me and actually leave me a voice message on my Google Voice account. The number is one 545 3173 or you can write to me by going to thenakedtruthwcs.com slash COVID, that's C-O-V-I-D, or by messaging me through Facebook. Whether you leave a voicemail or send me a message, please tell me your name, your location, what your situation is, how you're feeling, and how you're managing your relationship with dance during this period. Hopefully, hearing others' stories will help us all feel a little less alone during this time and maybe help us find new ways to cope and adapt. And with that, let me turn to my conversation with Tom. If you've listened to the show before, you're already familiar with Tom Paderna. He was one of the first guests we had on the show, and he was also on a recent episode about aging and ageism. Tom has been a great friend of mine and someone I enjoy chatting with about all things in life. He's been involved in our dance community for many years now. He won the Open Jack and Jill at the U.S. Open in 1994 with Kelly Buckwalter, now Casanova. He helped found, promote, and run Boogie by the Bay in its early years, and he continues to be active in the scene, serving as a judge, DJ, and all-around supporter of the community. He is also pursuing his Ph.D. in psychology and currently doing an internship at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in Sacramento. One of the things I love most about Tom and why I think he'll be an excellent psychologist is he really thinks about people on a personal level. As you'll hear in our discussion, he talks about how people are experiencing this outbreak and shares his own thoughts on how it is affecting our local communities and our weekend regional events. He brings a wealth of experience and a diversity of knowledge to the conversation, so while he would probably humbly say this wasn't a great one, I thought it was a fantastic discussion. Oh, and one other thing to set this up for you. I'll drop you into our conversation when it starts turning to our feelings about the outbreak and then the impacts of our dance, but before that, we were discussing different TV shows that we're watching during The Shelter-in-Place. And just before the part you'll hear, I mentioned the HBO series The Leftovers, which I absolutely loved. Based on the novel by Tom Perota, the show takes place in a world where 2% of the global population... Suddenly vanished in a single moment. And it follows people in one town three years after what is called the sudden departure as they grapple with the aftermath of the event in different ways. If you haven't seen the show, it was brilliant, wonderfully acted, written, directed. Justin Thoreau, Carrie Coons is phenomenal. And I can't believe she wasn't nominated for anything. But anyway, it is one of the best shows I've ever seen. Three seasons, 10 episodes each. Check it out. Anyway. We were talking about that show and its themes of grief, guilt, faith, and anxiety, right before what you're about to hear. So, with that, here now is my conversation with Tom Praderna. Well, anyway,
1: so, speaking of leftovers...
0: (laughs) You feeling like the 2%?
1: I think everybody's feeling that way in a weird way. And this is a really incredible life-changing sociological event, I think. Yeah. You know, um, I was reading an article, and I think it was in Harvard Business Review, I can't remember, where the funny feeling that you have is grief. Mm-hmm. How we're now all, gra- every, unlike before, every single one of us is grappling with the loss of what we thought was a future. Interesting. Every one of us. Because I've been wondering like the last couple of weeks that oh, why I've been depressed, you know. I definitely have this grief. And actually I've been feeling it. I started feeling when I saw the thing happening in China. I was thinking to myself, oh, this looks bad. And then um, when what – was, what, was, what was one of the first big things that was canceled? When when the Korea event was canceled, I mm-hmm. said, oh, shit. Oh, shit, this is going to come. And then a week later um, – Stuff started happening, and I was actively pushing next gen to close their dance, right? And Johnny to close their dance, and they both didn't. Um, yeah, by then I knew I really had this dread that this is going to happen. And you know, there's a you know there's a dancer who Portland who died. Oh, I know that. Yeah, the dancer in Portland died. And while I don't know this person from COVID. Yeah, he was one of the first two, I think and he was a revered member of the community and from it was on Doug Sultan's post
0: yeah I saw he he mentioned somebody died but I didn't know if it was coincidental or if it was related to the outbreak
1: well so that's the thing we don't know
0: Okay, because
1: the thing is transmissible that we don't really know and I think it'll be only a matter of time before we know somebody who's semi-famous in the West Coast swing community who will who will pass away from this right. and maybe if even if they don't know that this was had to do with the dance they went to, you're gonna wonder. you Like I'm, I'm hoping to God that nobody who went to Johnny's dance or to Next Gen is gonna get it and die.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm pretty convinced somebody will get it for sure. Yeah, and will suffer. Um, I hope nobody dies from it, because then, you know, you're gonna wonder if you made the right choice, if you want you know, one of the people who went or the promoter who held right. it,
0: or yeah
1: it's gonna be pretty serious. Anyway.
0: Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's strange. I actually, I was gonna release an episode, well, last week, and I didn't, yeah. and then this week, and I was saying to Cheney, like, having a hard time sitting and doing this, and I think, um, part of it is it's just me saying, like, how I'm dealing with all of it, and I've never done an episode that's just me talking, um, and the other is not wanting to, offend or say something so like there's the perfectionist part of me but i think part of it too is actually that i'm not feeling grief i mean i'm obviously concerned about certain things um but i'm actually uh it's weird to say i'm enjoying this because i'm not enjoying (laughs) i'm not enjoying this right like i'm not happy there's a global outbreak uh, I'm worried about my parents who are currently in Florida and are supposed to go back to New York in a couple of weeks. Um, my best friend and her wife are both doctors in New York and her wife is uh, seven months pregnant. So like, I'm worried about all of that stuff. My sister and her brother-in-law lost their restaurant basically. Like they're open for one afternoon a week. They had to lay off all their employees. So like, it's not that I'm happy about the big situation, but I'm, I'm grateful for the slowdown. I'm grateful that I get to work from home. I'm grateful that I get more time with Chini. I'm grateful that I don't have to be out socializing or going to dances all the time. That like I have more time to catch up on things to slow down. Because from the moment I moved here, and even before then, it's just been go, 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 and a lot of change. And I just get a lot of time at home right now. And I'm really grateful for that. <laughs> so I know that sounds like weird because...
2: It's not real. There's, I, just, I agree with you.
0: there's, but yeah, I've been waiting for life to slow down, and finally, it has. It's a forced float, a slow down, and obviously, I wish the circumstances were better. But I'm like, I kind of like this. <laughs> I like oh. being a homebody after running around.
1: I agree with you. You know, there's, there's no question. There's a lot of bad going on, and I, and because of work, my work, I know there's a lot of stuff people are really really anxious about all this and really suffering mm-hmm. psychologically because of all this at the same time it's given us all a chance to slow down and to pause and kind of reflect on what really matters you know right. sure. although it's involuntary maybe we all needed this yeah uh, I, I'm taking more walks I'm purposefully seeing more things while I walk <laughs> i noticed the birds more I'm noticing the the leaves that are they're popping up on a tree because it's springtime here in Sacramento.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the river's more full. There's more people out on the walks, probably because that's the only way they can get out of the house, too. But it's it's kind of good to see. Um, and I, I would bet, if anything, there are, we are trying to connect with each other more than we were before. Yes. Now, considering so activity-oriented, activity, go home, activity, go home, activity, go home. I think we're trying to make our time that we have quality. And I know, I know this boredom, but I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I'm I'm still working. So I'm actually, I have a love hate relationship with that. Um, I like that I still have structure.
2: Right.
1: And I like that I actually get out of the house every day Mm -hmm. during the weekday and go, go, go to work. Um, it's stressful being at a medical center. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's a, uh, it's a crossroads of disease, as we all know anyway, to begin with at any time. Um, but we've doing things like we're screening at the door. We're going to insert people in. The hospital is super quiet now. Um, everybody distances from each other. You know, even the grocery store, I think there's a kind of paranoia going on in the grocery store.
2: Right.
1: I've noticed. <laughs> like, you know, I'll wait for somebody to get done with the shelf before I grab the next thing. I'll go sit there and wait. But, and that's so weird. I mean, weird. There's a kind of weird paranoia thing going on.
0: Yeah. So it's been interesting to watch people reach out to one another because, on the one hand, yeah, I think it's great, and I think I think the forced slowdown, like you said, forces us to really reflect a little more. And I think. St- i don't know shift our priorities of what's important yeah. you know like yeah i we go out a lot and we dance and we see each other a lot but now that you're not allowed to have it <laughs> you you really you really think about what it means to have that that we take it for granted all the time um but i i also see i think and maybe this is just me putting on a critical lens but i feel like a lot of people are having a really hard time distancing which On the one hand, we could say it's because we love being with one another, but I also feel like there's a part of it that maybe it's just my own lens of how I see our culture today where we are so overstimulated all the time, You know, whether we're talking about phones or talking to people or um, watching TV or whatever it is, we're so overstimulated that I feel like a lot of people are craving to connect with others because they're addicted to it. Yeah. Like, I think people have a really hard time either A, being alone or B, being slow or quiet or, you know, like taking a step back. I don't know. I feel like I see some people and Chini and I have talked about it and obviously we have each other. So we're a little biased, but we don't feel the same sort of desperate need to connect with people. We want to connect with people. I've been, I've certainly been reaching out to people more. Um But yeah, I just wonder if there isn't, a part of this need to connect that is actually a withdrawal <laughs> like a people going through social withdrawal that were it's kind of a reflection of how stimulated and hooked we are all the time that we have a hard time doing without it
1: so i'll admit i'm suffering from that
2: mm-hmm.
1: i really miss the dances um it's kind of like i'm missing it even more you know, like in the Bay Area, we had opportunities every freaking day of the week, right? Right. And sometimes two places. And I would go out three or four times a week. Um, here in Sacramento, not so often. It's more like four times a month or so, right? Um, and I, oh, I was mourning that a little bit. You know, just when you get used to it, then everything gets shut down. And, and we do have a fundamental need for human physical touch. Right. And, and I'm really, Happy for those of us who have somebody else or family around you that you can actually do that with. And my guess would be you're hugging more. I don't know. Um, and as a single person living alone, I have to say, I really, really miss that. I, mm-hmm. I gotta say. And I want to give a shout out and be gentle to those people who are living by themselves and feeling this that, um, yeah, I hear you. You know, this is, it's hard. It's hard. And I think those are people I see walking around or even driving around the cars, you know, um, and going to a store more than me to or, or whatever. I I don't blame him. I think that this is this goes fundamentally against our um, nature as people, as humans. Because um, you know, have you heard it? I was talking to, listening to a podcast yesterday, and there's a saying how um, in society there is this saying, "survival of the fittest." Right. Right. That worked back then. You know, uncivilized time. In civilized time, it's more like survival of the friendliest. Mm. Studies have proven that those people who are good at socializing and making friends are the ones who are successful in life because yeah. it's an extension of our tribal structure, where you know having a tribe helped you live longer.
2: Yeah,
1: and here psychologically, having friends help you live longer. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, they've it done some longevity studies and they say that people who have who live longer have much larger social networks. Mm-hmm. Literally, before that became. You surf by Facebook and stuff like that. Uh, social networks was an actual term we use in psychology. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah, I think we're all kind of feeling that fabric kind of
0: pulled away from us and, and oh, I am and feeling kind of bummed about it. So, anyway. so, I know over the last few months that we've chatted, you've been feeling actually kind of ambivalent about dance. Um, yeah. Like not feeling great about it or drawn to it, thinking about withdrawing from a little bit. So how are you feeling now?
1: Oh I, I really, really
2: miss it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta admit I super miss it. Um do you miss the dancing itself or do you miss the being out and socializing with people?
1: Or both? Well, both, definitely.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh gotten together with a couple of people here and there and we've just done something in the house. Right. Uh but even that's kind of shut off because I don't see them regularly. So I think for social distancing purposes, unless I see them regularly, it's not not worth it. I'm not yeah. worth the risk. So even that stuff, I mean, this is the first week of this whole thing that's happening. Um, you probably know that um, when this first started happening, even I, earlier than most people, I said, you know what, I'm not going to go dancing anymore. Because, right. because I was, I was aware of what was going on. and. And through working stuff, I just thought it would be prudent for me not to do that. Yeah. And so I didn't go. So there's one more week of dances that we had that I could have gone to, but I didn't. And I, I'm glad
0: and I'm also sad that I didn't go. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
0: For sure. You know, yeah. What's your feeling, especially being in the healthcare profession, of the duration of this whole thing? What's your sense at this point of how long we will be sheltered in place and then how long until we're allowed to actually go out social dancing and then how long before events will pick up again?
1: Well, so we're here today, Saturday, March 28th. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, Sacramento schools just announced that they're going to cancel all classes for through April at least.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I think, you know, it's a fluid situation, but I think things are going to be canceled through April. I think May is in danger now. Yeah. And, you know, there's this thing about what people understand about pandemics. It does go through waves geographically. Right. It, it goes and comes back. So, in a way, it's shelter in place while the whole thing affects mostly geographically um, the vast majority of people. So, yeah, at least another month. Uh, and that's kind of what we're we're hunkering down for at, at where I work. Um, and
2: you know, there's, there's
1: talk of, as you know, New York just graduated all the medical students early. Mm-hmm. there's talk about of that happening in my profession as well so so yeah i think i think people are saying well you know what <laughs> we have these standards but they're, you're not going to not graduate high school students out of senior right right out of high school so i think i'm, I'm guessing april probably may
0: before we're not sheltered in place or before social dancing resumes or both oh, social I'm hope I'm hopeful. I'm really
1: hoping that June will start up again, but i I'm pretty much, April definitely not. Yeah, um, May is iffy. June I hope so. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's my sense of it because of the different waves and how how it travels geographically.
0: Right. Well, and what we do is far higher risk. Just the contact, the number of people who come together, you know, sweating, being close, like all these things that. Are already yeah. conducive to spreading communicable diseases.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I and mean, we all know, you know, about, about we used to get uh, convention blues, right? Right. Every every got the same illness on Monday. <laughs> yep. Sometimes stomach Sunday. flu, or yeah, yeah, stomach flu, go on for like a week or so. We're able to go to some event, um, and people go, "Oh my god, I got the bug!" Blah blah blah. Right. And people all thinking about the same thing. That this is exactly it, except this time it might be fatal.
0: <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing cool. is, I think about an event. Coming together, I feel like events will, I don't know, I think events might take a little longer given the number of people, right? Because definitely, you know, we're talking more than 200, 250 people, because I can just imagine like the nightmare scenario of one person has it, doesn't know, flies to an event somewhere, and then you have, you know, 300 outbreaks happening because those people all go home. So, it's a really high risk Thing to have those weekend events locally is a little different because if it's contained there geographically, you hope that you know people go into a social dance; it's not going to spread. But I worry about weekend events. Oh, completely! Like, uh, like spring
1: break in Florida. Like one of the reasons why Louisiana now is number three, I think, is because they had Mardi Gras. Oh right, that went on, and they're now regretting that. They're saying we should really, really cancel Mardi Gras if we do this coming um yeah and and you know it's funny i think because of what we do we kind of have a high responsibility Mm -hmm. i'd be okay with restaurants opening back up again and every other table thing or whatever but man what we do is is so communicable it's it's such it's such a perfect place for communicable diseases yeah you know yeah but also that's what makes it great we get to hold and touch each other
0: which is fantastic
1: yeah Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like a Greek tragedy. Right.
0: Without parents. Um, so what do you ah. think? <laughs> what do you think the impact is going to be on local communities? So, like, you help us out with Mission City. We've been closed since the beginning of March. We're probably going to be closed, like you said, through May, maybe June. You're involved in the local communities in Sacramento. You're involved with NextGen, which is a monthly thing. So, what's your take on how local communities will, um, either suffer or recover in the wake of this?
1: Um, I'm going to guess that everybody's going to have a, just gonna be a big surge of people going to their local dances when this starts get, getting lifted, which mm-hmm. I hope is... There'll be a big surge because people... I think most people like me they kind of miss it. Right. Um, I do think there'll be people who will reassess and decide not to come back, but I actually have a feeling the number of people who have been coming sporadically will suddenly become... I'm gonna, I want to go now. Mm-hmm. So there a surge of people coming in. and They'll all be, be local and my hope is that people realize how valuable local events are
2: mm-hmm.
1: i really do like in sec we have a lot of dancers here it's just they don't come out that often right and so it's like the tail the tail part of the curve right that you know the long tail that's the same anyway <laughs> it's a long tail where people come out every once in a while so there's like 30 people who show up um, but in reality we might be a lot bigger than that right. um, i'm hoping that people those people value it and decide to come more more locally and not wait for the regional events. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's my hope, and hopefully, it strengthens the local communities. Um, what
0: do you think the impact will be from both a financial uh, aspect? Right, I mean, I don't think the Bay Area is being hit as hard as some other places, just given the industry, but there are people who obviously are, have lost their jobs or are out of work depending on what industry they're in. And the other part is just the fear of either getting it or transmitting it because it's not going away in the next few months. I mean, this is going to be around potentially permanently and certainly we're not going to have treatment for a little bit, although I think those are on their way and we're not going to have vaccine for at least a year. So how much do you think that'll affect local communities?
1: Um, I think a lot. I mean, I, 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 I know now when a guy doesn't wash his hands in the bathroom, I, pro- I might say something instead of watching go out and be pissed off at him. Because mm-hmm. I think we all know the guys who either just walk straight out or run to water for two seconds and walk out. Right. Um, I know those people. And you better not do it. I know who you are. <laughs> you do this again after this COVID thing. I'm going to out you. Yeah. I Dear God, I hope that doesn't happen again. I think some of our local dancers already had sanitaries out there that some people were doing, being diligent about. Right. Um, that's going to increase. I think that whole, like just before this all happened, everybody started putting sanitizers out and doing more hand washing, things like that. Right. But that's going to be the new normal. Um, and I think less sick people will come out. Cause I know I've danced with people who are sick and you know, coughing in the corner. Um, God knows I, I probably pushed it harder than I should have at certain times as well. Yeah. But back then it was like, it, well, you know, your, the equation is you might, ah, this is terrible, but I'll admit it. But back then the equation was, um, well, what's the worst that could happen? Somebody else might get cold. Right. right? But right. now, no, it's, that's not the equation. The right. equation is somebody else might die.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's going to, I think, have us hold us back, rightfully so, from the community. Um, so yeah, I think sanitation practices will increase. Yay! Which I appreciate anyway. From <laughs> the followers I was talking to about all this, they actually say that the followers all pretty much are good about hand washing and everything. I think it's a guy's thing. Yeah, guys, <laughs> need, to, need to step up. Um, so that's good. Yeah. Um, regional side, financially, um, the scene the will shrink. Mm
2: hmm.
1: And unfortunately, I think it'll shrink on the younger side because those are mostly, those are folks who tend to be starting new in the career or in service industry. Those who are professionals or older are already set, have good income. I think those folks will continue to go. Um, I think it's going to hurt regional events a lot. I think there's this undercurrent of many people thinking that there were too many events. Well, I think you're going to see a lot of events shrink like they did after 9-11. Um, we lost, we lost a few back then. I think we'll lose even more at this time. So I'm not looking forward to that. And I really feel for those promoters who got caught up in all this. And my uh, hearts go out to them. Hearts go out to, uh, like, Lauren, who had to cancel. She was at the peak of this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And all the events that canceled right now, starting April, May, uh, and in Seattle. Um, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's going to be hard to recover from, and I hope they do eventually. But it's going to permanently change the
0: landscape, that's for sure. Yeah, and I imagine less people will be inclined to travel.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe you won't you won't pack in
0: six people to a room anymore. or you might. You might think. You might rethink that. I don't know. So, as somebody who studies human behavior, I'm curious. We kind of chatted a little bit about this, uh, I think, last week, but. How much of the new behaviors of washing our hands, of being careful, how much of that do you think is going to stick and how long do you think it will stick for? Because I feel like maybe it's just a cynical view, but I feel like there's going to be a number of people where when we start going to events again, this pandemic gets more under control, that we kind of regress to the mean. There are going to be a large number of people who are just going to start forgetting to wash their hands or you know, just start getting back to business as usual. And I'm wondering how much are we really going to not only shift the norm, but make it stick?
1: Um, I, I, the mean's going to move for sure in terms of sanitation and being good about not going out when you're sick and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the question is more like how much will it move? Right. Rather than will it move? It'll move. I think, I think people will be a lot cleaner. I think hand washing will happen more. So I think sanitizers will be common. Just as common as, say, water is in the ballroom. Right. The sanitizer's out there anymore. Um, I think people will use it like, you know, we also like in the last couple of years, people start using more of their own containers, mm-hmm. water bottles, things like that. It'll happen in that way where a certain percentage will be really conscious of it. Some people won't ever change. And, um, hopefully those vectors will be fewer and fewer and far between. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my hope. It'll change. It'll change for the better. I think some of it, I think it'll stick. I have hope that a lot of it will stick. Um, I think those of us who want to keep safe. Will be able to do that, and it will be more socially acceptable to say no. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, those those kind of behavioral changes will happen. Um, we do have short memories, but I think the norm we're we're not going to go back to the same. There's, there's going to be a new normal.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that it does become a norm that there's enough of a critical mass that there's social pressure to keep washing your hands to stay yeah. home when you're sick for those people who might be like, what's the big deal? Cause they forgot what happened a year ago. Um, I'm hoping that there'll be enough pressure. I'm hoping events and venue owners and local organizers will keep putting out the message. If you are sick, we will refund you. Just don't come out. Um, that we hope you'll still wash your hands. Yes. There's hand sanitizer, but use soap, please um like actually wash your hands so yeah i mean i am hoping that it becomes a new norm because i think this has highlighted how vulnerable our community is to this kind of thing like you said we've kind of always known that we pass the flu around or colds or whatever but this is a whole new level and it's it's going to be around for a long time
1: yeah it's going to be around for at least a year
2: yeah
1: even if we can go back and say start dancing again in june july um it's going to be the social pressure and the social norm will be to sanitize, so sanitize, sanitize, sanitize. If you're sick, stay home. Don't spread stuff around. That's going to be normal for at least a year until there's a reliable cure.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, um, there's some parallels to HIV. Um, so, yeah. We're, we're, you know, people are having sex now, but condoms are a norm now. Right. right? Kind of yeah, yeah. Like what it, what it used to be.
0: So what do you think our community will look like say a year from now? Like let's say the vaccine comes out in a year people start getting it. Where do you think that norm will be? How long do you think it'll take for things to kind of settle one way or the other with regional events in particular? Because I feel like local communities will recover sooner as bans are kind of lifted.
2: Yeah.
1: Rather than guess where it's going to be out, um, well, okay. A little bit of a guess is from my memory, it took about, it took about two or three years before you started seeing new events start to happen after 9-11.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it took a while for the economy to recover, for the war got started, things became kind of normal, the, the resources were available to start up new events. Mm-hmm. It took about three years before you started seeing new events happen again. Um, the ones that kept, there were ones that kept going the 40s and the big ones are able to weather the storm. Um, but the ones who, unfortunately, have, were unable to run in a storm, it took about three years, I would say, before new events came up to take their place right. at the same level. Um, my hope is, I hope local things get stronger.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Hope people appreciate that more and that we're less picky about the particulars, myself included, um, about... You know, it's, it doesn't have to be perfect. Go local. Cause what we realize now is we start valuing the social aspect of it, yeah, the physical aspect of being able to just do this dance that we're so lucky we can still do. Um, so maybe a little more gratitude and local dances are struggling. That's, that's my hope.
0: Yeah. I know there were certain events that took a hit during the recession in 08, 09. Yeah. I imagine it wasn't as severe as 9-11 yeah. in terms of the hit, but I do feel like. Events shrank a bit in that period, and then grew back. Do you remember how long the recovery was after that The recession? Yeah, uh, It was two thousand eight.
1: I think that that put more of a pause on things. Mm-hmm. Well, no, yeah. You know, I think in fact, I mean, there were there were certain events like like swinging the South Bay. I mean, not Swimming the South Bay, but South Bay. Mm-hmm. That's during that time, and I think Fresno took a hit and didn't quite ever recover. Yeah. Um, besides the move away from country. I mean but there are also some in LA that, that didn't happen again. And there were smaller one one day events that didn't happen again. That only took like about two years to recover from. Yeah. But this this is more way more serious. This this has affected everybody. Right. Not not just the resources for promoters who want to put it on, but also for people who can attend.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: no, we're, we're talking a $2.2 trillion stimulus package.
0: Right. And even that's not enough. And,
1: and I remember the gigantic argument for Obama's stimulus package and that was only 800 billion. Right. This is more than twice as big and people are still saying this might not be enough.
0: Yeah. Well, we have more unemployments right now than we have since Ever. the 80s. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is, this is going to be bad. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the future holds. I'm hopeful um, that we do some, some things in a good way, and uh, to, to kind of go on that thing, the the good things I see happening are more online.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the coolest things is uh, I'm part of this this Facebook group called uh, Cooking in a Time of COVID. That <laughs> yeah. shout out, shout out to Stephanie. I'm sorry, Heather Powers has started up. Pardon me, Heather Powers has started up. Like it, it this group has exploded. There's like over a thousand people in it now in just a week. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're all posting our pictures from cooking because we all have to stay home and cook now (laughs) so I'm enjoying that Um, I've enjoyed some online classes like I I went to Ben McHenry's uh, which took twice and now it's really cool, I love it
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Michelle Crozier for DYOS is doing a little bit of footwork drilling thing plus the social thing afterwards which I'm really enjoying and I know you went to something online too, right?
0: Yeah, I went to Chantel's ballet class, I did the Global Westy Connection which was like a whole weekend of workshops. I've done Robert Royston's. Um, and Mission City is doing classes too. And we're going to continue doing them for our, our community locally. So. Cool. Yeah, I want
1: to be part of that, by the way. I want to, I want to do that judging thing we talked about.
0: Yeah, actually, we just met with the leadership team. So we'll catch up on that. <laughs> okay. um, right. Of getting you involved in that and maybe a watch party.
1: Yeah, exactly. If like a watch party, judge at the same time, I'll do the analysis and people view that. Time. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally, totally down online apprentice judging
0: yeah that's awesome what's your advice to people who are having a hard time with this
2: oh (laughs) you know um uh,
1: it's hard but um it's it's super hard um just know that this this passes I, and I know it's hard to look at Wuhan and, but, you know, look, Wuhan has, it has passed in Wuhan. Mm-hmm. It took four, mm-hmm. about four months there, right? Now they had more, they had more draconian measures than we had. Luckily, I think we actually acted earlier, possibly not enough in terms of how it was going in Wuhan. Right. Um, cause they, are, they also denied it for quite a while. Um, somehow I, so we all know it'll pass sometime. How severe it is, how long it will be, I don't know. And, but just the knowledge that this too shall pass, um, is one thing. The advice I'll give people is to reach out more. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm super, I have a love hate thing with Facebook. Right now, I'm loving Facebook. I'm actually really appreciative that it exists. Thank goodness. Cause I can't imagine how I would stay connected with my friends if I didn't have Facebook. Um, although I've actually placed more phone calls lately, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also doing a lot more video conferencing, which wasn't possible, right? Um, Yeah, I wish I bought Zoom stock Um, (laughs) (laughs) or Skype. Skype's owned by Microsoft, but never mind.
2: Um,
1: Yeah, stay stay as connected as possible. There's actually a lot of online resources about staying as connected as possible. Um, Because this is a podcast, you're self-selecting for those guys, so more power to you. Hey, speaking of so people on the podcast, reach out to your friends who don't listen to podcasts.
2: Hmm.
1: Right, and maybe that's something you could do. And you could, we could each be instead of a vector for disease, we could all be a vector for connection. Yeah. So, so that's what you could do. Be a, be a vector for connection. Kind of reach out to folks and connect with them, and help help them connect with each other, with you. And I, I think I think we can
0: we can make it through. Yeah. Sage words of advice from Tom Paderna. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks, Tom, yeah. for sharing your perspective, your thoughts. I always like chatting with you about this stuff, but I also appreciate that you're very thoughtful about it. I think you come from a lot of different angles, which is really helpful. You know, you're um, you've you've been around locally in community, you've been around on the national scene a long time, so you've seen the ups and downs, and you're also a psychologist and healthcare professional, so you bring that perspective too, which I really appreciate in times like this.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, if anybody knows any health professionals that are still going to work, give them a shout out, because it's getting yeah. it's good for us out there. We're feeling a little bit vulnerable.
0: Yeah. It's uh, hearing the stories. There was a podcast I listened to where they shared stories of healthcare professionals. They kind of called in and left messages, and it's it's rough. It's scary. They're okay. scared for themselves. They're scared for their patients. They're scared for the people around them.
1: Yeah. You know, in, in Canada, they're doing a 7 o'clock uh, appreciation thing. What's that? In Canada, at 7 o'clock every day, people go out on their balconies and just cheer. And they're cheering all the people who are still um, trying to take care of people in this, in this time. <laughs> yeah, We don't do it here because you know, we're Americans. <laughs> 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 but, but, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, that's, if anything, yeah, be, be a vector of connection. Let's mm-hmm. do that. That's how you fight this thing.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, Tom. All right, thanks. Well, I hope you all feel a little better listening to Tom. I know I did, if only because he maintains a sense of hope and optimism at a time when there's plenty of cause for concern and anxiety. Plus, he's just a pretty chill, soothing guy. I liked his perspective on how people are reacting now and how local communities may be affected by this. I also really appreciated his historical perspective of the dance, how our scene responded and recovered in the wake of earlier events like 9-11 and the recession. He's able to think at all those different levels, individual, community, and regional, and consider how we as people will be affected and respond. But perhaps most of all, I love his call to action. Be vectors for connection. It's a positive way to respond in this time that benefits both those around us as well as ourselves. Like Tom pointed out, those who are most connected tend to survive the longest. Reaching out and connecting with others is good for our own health and stress management, and it can provide the support someone else needs too. And don't forget, I'm hoping to use this podcast to help our community stay connected, so please share your pandemic experience with me. Again, go to thenakedtruthwcs.com slash COVID for instructions on how to contact me. That's thenakedtruthwcs.com slash COVID. In the meantime, share your thoughts on this episode with me and your fellow listeners. You can post a comment on the website, you can respond to our posts on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email me at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page. To get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, follow us on Instagram at thenakedtruthwcs, and, you know, what else are you are doing at home? Follow us on Twitter at NakedTruthWCS. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, I've made all of our episodes from the very first one available for you to catch up on, re-listen to, or share with someone new. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook, and if you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. More importantly, please be safe, healthy, and well. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Eric, and that's The Naked Truth. Hello, hello. Hey, Eric. Hi, sorry for the delay. I was helping Cheney set something up. We're trying to watch. She's trying to watch a show with her friend, and it's on Amazon Prime. And it's like, how do you figure out how to do a watch party? Because Netflix has an app or an extension, yeah. and Facebook has a thing, but like they only do their own thing. Anyway, didn't exactly go as planned. So now they're just hitting like play at the same time and texting while they <laughs> watch. <laughs> it's fine.
1: You know, I bet some engineer at Amazon's trying to figure it out right right now. You would think. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I think there's a mystery-sized theater thing going on where they're trying to do that with some streaming. I can't remember how they're doing it. Oh, really? Where you you actually see yourselves in the bottom.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, like the three.
1: Remember MST? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was awesome. Yeah.